How would you describe a productive and effective professional learning community? In my experience in multiple schools and districts, this model has looked drastically different in each setting. This week's guest, Chad Dumas, shares a practical guide for leaders on how to collaborate and get sustained results for students. In this episode, we discuss the steps needed to get the correct leadership experience for aspiring leaders, tips to create effective meetings, how to increase your professional development, and Chad's new book, Let's Put the C in PLC. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Chad, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Oh, thank you so very much. It's really my honor and a pleasure. I've been a fan and following along for a while, so it's really a, a blessing to be able to join you. Well, I appreciate that, sir. And I'm so excited about our conversation. And, you know, we started that before I even pushed record, but we started talking about a lot of different topics on leadership development and collaborative Mm -hmm. communities. And I just am so excited to not only learn about those topics, but hear about all the amazing things you're doing, not only in the consulting world, but with Solution Tree, and then of course your new book. So before we get into all of those amazing topics, I would love to hear about your educational and leadership journey. Yeah, I was born and raised in Nebraska, out in West Central Nebraska, actually. Both my parents were educators. Despite their best efforts of trying to keep me out of education, (laughs) I went into education. I was a middle school music teacher, a vocal music teacher. During that time, the the staff and the principal kind of tapped me on the shoulder, if you will, and, Mm -hmm. and had me do some leading of staff development work for the building. And uh, that adult learning bug really bit me. Ended up doing some professional development for the district that was Lincoln Public Schools for all the new teachers that had to go through some tenure requirement courses to get tenure in the district. And then I decided, you know, I, I wanted to do more in this in this vein. And so I was a professional developer at an intermediate service agency in central Nebraska for a few years. Um, but I knew that that's not where I wanted to end. I, I thought, uh, you know, I'd like to be a principal and a central office administrator. So I made the steps into each of those roles. It was a building principal, secondary principal. Uh, and had the opportunity to open a brand new, almost $20 million facility 10, 12 years ago, and then moved into a central office role in South Central Nebraska, a high poverty, high diversity district that at the time was also low performing, mm-hmm. labeled by the state actually. And, and don't you love these labels that states come up with? <laughs> yes. uh, persistently lowest achieving school, uh, you know, not just lowest achieving, but persistently lowest achieving. And through the implementation of the ideas of PLCs, Mm -hmm. within about five years, the first school of what became five out of seven buildings uh, became a national model for improving student learning. So I spent almost a decade in that district, decided that uh, our kids had gone off to college and uh, actually overseas, and we were empty nesters. It was my wife and I and our dog, and we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, I never intended to spend our career in Nebraska uh, it's been 20 years. Maybe we should go someplace different. And so um, we uh, we went to Iowa. That was our uh, someplace <laughs> different. <laughs> and uh, was the um, elementary executive director of, of elementary education for Ames Community School District. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the pandemic, actually slightly before the pandemic, and then during the pandemic, it really galvanized that I needed to go beyond a school district and engage in consulting with a larger number of schools and districts to really impact 
adults and students, of course, that's mm-hmm. what we're all about. Yeah. And so that's what I started to do. I, I wrote a couple of books and uh, I've been working with a lot of different districts around the country and world, doing some work with Cognia, recently became an associate with Solution Tree. And so yeah. I'll be looking forward to doing more work with schools who contract with Solution Tree, but all around building this, this collaborative environment for the adults so that we can make sure that we're improving student learning. Wow. A music <clears throat> teacher turned administrator. That's... <laughs> I love that because I was an art teacher that turned into an administrator. So the elective worlds unite. I'm guessing that that was an odd combo when you were going through that that journey. Was there anything that you felt like the music world taught you and, and enhanced you as a leader as you moved up? Yeah, very much so. You know, at first I thought it was an odd combo. And then I met a number of amazing educational leaders who were also came out of the music teacher ranks. Mm-hmm. And they pointed out to me that when you're a music teacher, you have to get a whole bunch of people going in a common direction. And it's not just about the individuals, it's about the group. And you can't ignore either one. You have to both focus on individual development and group development. And so as that director, you know, in my case, vocal music director, you're doing that. And so you build these skills and in my case, being a middle school person, you know, uh, you talk to a lot of middle school boys, particularly, and they'll tell you they can't sing or they don't want to sing or they don't like to sing. And so it's about creating this culture where singing is cool and where where we're working together to do that. And so I think there's a lot of parallels in the adult learning world where, you know, even though we are educators, sometimes we don't enjoy our own learning and our own development. And so helping the adults develop their own identities as learners is a similar challenge as what Mm -hmm. I confronted with middle school boys in particular who didn't see themselves as singers. And so there's a lot of parallels uh, and the skills I think overlap with um, engaging folks in meaningful ways to be able to to build their identity and then work together in um, improving our what we're doing. Yeah. And I want to talk about the professional development with adults later, but I want to touch on this because I think it's interesting, you know, for those elective teachers or those who are maybe outside of the core classes um, that are looking at leadership and maybe want to be an administrator someday, what were some things that you did to get the skills needed to get to that next level? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of things. So the first thing that happened is uh, I volunteered to serve on the school improvement committee. Mm-hmm. That's like absolutely critical because that, that is where the work of the continuous improvement process happens. So engaging in that. So I think that's one key thing. And then, you know, I volunteered for lots of different things within the school community. Sometimes we as elective folks have a reputation as not being very flexible. And I know that's not how we are. There's just that reputation. And so we have to go out of our way to make sure that we overcome that reputation, to be ultra flexible with others so that when, and I hate the term core and non-core, but I'll use it here. So when the core teachers need to be engaging in something as non-core teachers without compromising you know, our core values being as flexible as possible and uh, in willing to engage in conversations to be able to work with the core teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also spent a lot of time over the years, I don't know if this is a core thing or a non-core thing, but developing presentation skills. 
and human relations skills mm -hmm. around, uh, well, I talk about in my book, the three plus one, right. which are specific skills to be able to make sure that others know and feel heard and understood. And so making sure that, first of all, I learned those skills and then continue to this day to refine those skills and working with others. And I regularly have these you know, V8 moments, you know, if you've ever uh, seen those commercials, anybody who's old enough to remember those V8 commercials will remember them. And if you're not old enough, go back and Google like, you know, 1980s V8 commercial. And oh, yeah. You'll see, you know, this, you know, this V8 moment where you, I'll leave a conversation and go, ah, darn it, I should have paraphrased um, this conversation or that subject so that I could better understand and make sure that they better understand. Mm -hmm. But those are just a few of the things I can think of over the years that I've worked to develop to be able to move successfully from the classroom, and in my case, an elective classroom, into um, designated leadership yeah. roles. And I love that you were active. You said you volunteered for things. It's not like you were waiting for the opportunity to come to your doorstep. You were actively yeah, volunteering yeah. for those things. And I was fortunate to have an amazing principal who helped actually a couple of principals who helped like guide me in that direction mm -hmm. would set me up to go to some at that time pdk was a pretty big thing in our in the area where i was in nebraska so some pdk events right. um you know would share with me articles from the phi delta kappa and and ed leadership you know before i knew that these things even exist he yeah. would you know share those with me but that was because you know i expressed some interest in these types of things mm -hmm. And Chad, I want to talk about the flip side, right? So now you're an administrator, you're in, you're a district leader. How are you helping grow leaders on your campus or within your district? Yeah. So I think the first thing with growing other leaders is making sure that we don't limit our definition of what a leader is. Yep. Um, I'm a firm believer in the idea that everyone is a leader and our job as designated leaders is to make sure that we're funneling those leadership skills and expertise in appropriate and productive ways. Um, it reminds me of, um, uh, I heard Andy Hargraves a number of years ago, who does a lot of work with Michael Fullen and sustainable leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and he talked, gave the story of that, that, you know, everybody's a leader. And that some people say, well, no, 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 not everybody. There's this one person who, <laughs> you know, they're a saboteur or whatever. And the, what he shared was, well, that person that you're thinking of that's a saboteur, they're manifesting their leadership qualities in negative ways. Yep. It's not that they're not a leader. It's that it, the leadership is not being displayed in ways that are useful and appropriate for the school. And so, so the first thing that comes to my mind as a designated leader is to make sure that I'm not limiting my scope mm -hmm. of what constitutes a leader. Everybody has the capacity to serve as a leader in different ways. Yep. And so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, making sure that we have structures in place to be able to access that. I remember early on in my career going to something with, well, now it's Cognia. It was advanced ed for a while. And before that was NCA, North Central Association. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was the upper Midwest accrediting organization. You know, SACS was the South Southern one, you know, so yep. you've got these different regionally accrediting agencies. So I went to something with NCA and they, somebody there said that every member of your staff should be involved in school improvement. And I thought to myself, gosh, I'm in a school of 900 kids. And I think there were 60 or 70 instructional staff in the building. Right. How can we have like that? How can you have a meeting with 60 or 70 people and be productive? Well, you can't. 
<laughs> first of all. <laughs> so you have to set up structures for it, right? So you have your score improvement committee and you have chairs or co-chairs of that. And you have subcommittees and ad hoc committees. And so through these structures that are set up in the building, that's how you get everybody involved. And right. so as a designated leader, we have to make sure that we've got these structures set up to be able to do that. And the third thing that come to my mind, and of course, there's probably lots and lots of different things, but these are the first few things that come to my mind in mm -hmm. terms of building capacity is dropping or launching. Uh, I, I think of them as instructional hand grenades, <laughs> not a very good term in schools, but you know, this idea that uh, we're lobbying in periodically outside expertise, mm -hmm. outside resources, outside thinking to help propel the system forward. And so if there's a team of folks who are working on communication issues for the school, just for an example, mm -hmm. that I'm paying attention, you know, through social media and research and other things that are coming through for things that might help that team. And then I, you know, launch them that way. And the group that's reading, working on reading improvement, that things that come out around that, I, I launch their way, mm -hmm. uh, right? It's so, so we're, we're serving as this resource, uh, if you will, for how to um, build that capacity through these instructional hand grenades. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Propelling them off to the direction that you want. That's perfect. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. I want to talk about the national model schools that you had a mm -hmm. large part in. You talked about, you know, creating those structures just a bit ago. And I know from a previous answer, you talked about building PLCs and collaborative communities. So yeah. why was that so important with your district in moving them to the national model? And what were some of the effects by creating these PLCs? Yeah, well, we know that there's 50 or 60 years of, of research, hard, solid evidence mm -hmm. that says if you want to improve student learning, get your adults working together to improve their practice and results for kids. So we've got that research for 50 or 60 years. And then we've got the work of Rick for Bob Aker, and then Becky DeFore joined in and mm -hmm. Mike Mattis and, and others that about 30 years ago, kind of took all of that research and put it into specific um, actionable processes and practices to make it happen in schools. Yeah. And I was fortunate to be hired into Hastings, who had already adopted, so to speak, that kind of that mindset of doing PLCs and had allocated some time to it and had sent some folks to some workshops. So there was already like this baseline understanding of this is what we want to do. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot more beyond that, but there was like at least there was a conceptual understanding of this is what we want to do. And so my dissertation was focused on PLCs. I was blessed to hear Rick and Becky back in 2005 at a two-day institute, pre the Institute, Solution Tree Institutes of just them for two days. So, so I was able to, to I kind of had a pretty good idea of what did we need to do and then worked with the building principals and key designated teacher leaders to really establish, okay, so what does this actually look like? And let's make sure it's happening. Because it's really easy to say we do PLCs, yeah. <laughs> but when you dig into the nitty gritty, you find out that we're not doing PLCs. We have time <laughs> allocated, but you know, you ask questions like, okay, so tell me what are your essential outcomes by by the, the course or by the year? 
and eh, you know one person might point you one direction another another no we're not doing plcs if we're not clear about what we want kids to be able to do yeah same with the common form of assessment same with how we're intervening with kids how we're enrich enriching and so my work then was with the building principals and those key leaders to really clarify and make sure that we were actually doing the work of plcs uh, and of course um, becoming a PLC is a journey. We never really arrive. It's like this journey that we say, here's where we want to go. And we start working our way on that journey. And recognition via national model PLC status is a recognition of, hey, you are solidly on this journey because you have at least three years of data showing that improvement and you're doing the right work right. To, to make it happen. So I don't, I, I don't know if I even answered your question there or not, <laughs> you Josh, did, but I, I rambled for a little bit anyway. <laughs> no, I think it's good because it's setting the stage for my next question, which is about your book, which is Let's Put the C in PLC. And yeah. I love the title, but I also love the topic of PLC. So if you wouldn't mind just giving a quick synopsis, but then within that, I'd love to hear what your model of PLCs is because like you said, that term is used all the time. And I think a lot of building leaders don't exactly know what a true PLC is. So I would love to hear what your interpretation is and, and the things that you put in place for your own model. Well, I'm a big fan of the DeFore's work. Mm -hmm. I think it's the, a nice structured process because my experience is, is if we just put people together in groups and say, hey, go collaborate, it just doesn't happen. Yep. It's not magical like that. And so DeFore's called it critical issues. You know, the critical issues that, that need to be worked on, and there's 18 of them, these are the things that teams do. And they're, they're kind of in a almost a sequential order, right? So first we set our norms, then we identify our essential outcomes, then we figure out our assessment tool, then we set our cut scores, right? I mean, you just kind of work your way through here, then we examine the data, then we figure out our interventions, right? So there's like, it's almost a, a sequential process that when schools follow along this work, in the context of the the big ideas mm -hmm. and the pillars, the four pillars, this is what, what works. My book really hones in on what a principal, a school leader needs to know and be able to do, whether that's a principal, assistant principal, dean, counselors, lead teachers, central office support staff, staff who are supporting buildings, whatever. But it's honed in on what do those folks need to know to be able to build this collaborative culture. And what I had done was for my dissertation was look at the research to see what does a principal need to know. I started out with doing and my wife kept saying I was looking at knowing doing gap that we know exists in the world around us, right? Yep. Like for instance, I, I know I shouldn't have had both a hamburger and a brat for lunch today, <laughs> but I didn't do it. I, I went ahead and had both, right? There's this knowing doing gap. Yes. And same in education, like we know what we need to do, but we don't do it. And my wife kept saying, well, Chad, how do you know that principals know what they need to know? What I found was that nobody up until that point had gone through and said, look, school leader, this is what you need to know. Yep identified 10 things from the literature. And it comes from nothing I made up. It comes from Rick and Becky DeFore, from Michael Fullen, Mattis, Todd Whitaker, Garmston. I mean, it's, go through the long list of really incredible thinkers. And all I did was pull it together and said, look, here's the 10 things that school leaders need to know. When you were talking about the PLC sequential steps, it made me think of your background with notes and a sheet of music. Uh-huh. You have to know certain things first 
and the the good old song from the sound of music right yeah. uh, when you sing you when you read you begin with abc when you sing you begin with do re mi right. when you plc you begin with your norms and your essential outcomes yeah very much so <laughs> thank you i hadn't thought of it that way but that's that's uh, that's good maybe that could be my next book there you go bringing back the music teacher in you <laughs> all right so um we talked about meetings right you you talked about everyone being a leader and and breaking them down into different types of groups. So everyone has kind of that buy-in piece and, and a voice within the school. So what are some steps that leaders can do to make meetings effective? <sighs> meetings, <laughs> man. Maybe you've seen the meme online that, you know, you, you want to impress your colleagues, you want to waste time, uh, hold a meeting, you yep. know, it allows you to, you know, do those things and it's all on your company's dime. And unfortunately, I think that's the case that there's a lot of meetings that happen in my experience that we walk out and kind of look at each other and go, okay, what just happened in yep. there? Yep. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, part of my work is helping school leaders have better meetings. And there's a number of things that we can do that are very practical things that can happen. The most important thing that we can do to have more effective meetings uh, there's actually three things, three most important things to have more effective meetings. The first thing is to be sure that we have clear outcomes. Hmm. People want to know when they come into a meeting and while they're in the meeting and they, when they leave the meeting, why they're there. The second really important thing about any meeting is to have clear outcomes. <laughs> People want to know what their contribution is going to be towards towards this meeting and why they're there and of course you can probably guess what that third most important thing is for any meeting please everybody yeah, it down yes okay good 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 have clear outcomes, outcomes yeah exactly um so many times we go into meetings and we don't have those clear outcomes and and if we go in without clear outcomes by golly we're going to hit them every time which is nothing right we're yeah. not going to be effective so having those clear outcomes and, and outcomes can be categories in a number of different ways. It can be to learn, to understand, to decide, to inform. And so these are just being very clear up front as leaders on the agenda. Here's the purpose of our meeting or with each agenda item, the purpose of each agenda item. These are the outcomes on this one. It's to inform us about X, Y, and Z on this one. We're going to understand such and such better on this one. We're going to make a decision about right? And just being very clear about these types of outcomes so we can make sure that we're clear on that. Uh, there's a lot of different other things we can work on as leaders in terms of developing interpersonal skills, using protocols or other ways to ensure that we're balancing the voice of everyone in the room and having equitable opportunities for, for sharing of considerations, uh, lots of different things. And I, and I pull a lot from the adaptive schools work. Mm. But yeah, those are just like a couple of like little tidbits for your listeners. Like, yep. Have clear outcomes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wrote down three bullets and all of them say clear outcomes. So okay. um, I got it down. We're, we're kind of wrapping up our time together, but I always love ending our conversations with uh, you know some tips for our aspiring leaders. Obviously, that's the goal within this podcast is to help all leaders, but especially those who are aspiring to be greater each day. So for those who are listening, if they want to better their leadership skills tomorrow or next week, what is one or two things that they can do? This is an awesome question and I love it. So many things that could be said. And I guess the two things that come to my mind are something that 
the superintendent that I got to work for in Hastings, where five of the seven schools became national models, Craig Gouts was his name, is his name, mm-hmm. uh, one of the greatest leaders I've ever worked with and for. He would share two pieces of advice that um, I hadn't thought about for a long time until you asked, and all of a sudden they just came up to my mind. So I'm going to share them with everybody else. And those two pieces of our advice are be humble and stay hungry. That the, those two things are really critical to our leadership skills, to, to be humble, to know that I don't know enough and that what others bring to the table, the perspectives they have is just as valuable, if not more valuable than my own perspectives and knowledge. So being humble mm-hmm. and then staying hungry. If we were successful today, wonderful, celebrate it. And guess what? Tomorrow, that tool or strategy or tip that we use may not work. So we need to stay hungry and continually be working to get better. Love that answer. Chad, you know, you've talked a lot about all of the different things that you do for leaders. So leadership development, helping with collaborative communities, and then helping meetings be effective. But I know you do some other work, um, especially with Ed Leaders Network. So I'm wondering what that project's all about and how our aspiring leaders can find you know, all of the amazing resources on there. Yeah. So the Ed Leaders Network is an incredible uh, organization based in Illinois at the Illinois Principals Association headquarters in Springfield, Illinois. And the Ed Leaders Network serves, I think, 17 or 18 states, statewide administrator professional organizations. So there's like 110,000 school leaders who are within their work. And I was blessed to be able to do a webinar for them in January, and that's on their YouTube channel. And it's about, you know, knowledge and skills to put the C in PLC. And then as a result of that, to then do, they asked me to create a a mini course, an on-demand mini course. And so that's in the works where there's some videos and um, resources and tools to be able to help specifically around the three plus one that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then after that, then they uh, reached out and said, hey, will you help us do some micro-credentialing? And so I'm working on a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, courses, uh, they call them stacks, I guess, as part of a micro-credential. So there's two stacks in the micro-credential around collaborative leadership. And so that's a pro- project that I'm working on right now. And I'm guess- guessing that'll come out later in the summer, maybe end of July, early August, something like that. And there will be also some courses associated with that as well. But uh, that's been a really, a really fun project. In addition to, you know, the coaching of school leaders that a lot of it is virtual right now, right? Yeah. We just get on the Zoom and coach with them or the training that's starting to pick up more face-to-face and, mm-hmm. and uh, this fall doing some work uh, with Solution Tree as an associate with them. That's awesome. For our listeners who want to connect with you, maybe they want to do some consulting or have you come in for a conference or they just want to learn more about all of the resources that you have to offer. How can they connect yeah. with you on social media? Yeah. So Twitter, my Twitter handle is very simple. There's no numbers or any underscores or anything. It's just <laughs> Chad Dumas, C-H-A-D-D-U-M-A-S. So that's nice and easy. And through that, then, uh, you know, on my homepage, I don't know what they call it on Twitter, the profile page or whatever. Yeah. It's, you know, there's a link to my, uh, my website and Facebook and Twitter, but my website is nextlearningsolutions.com, uh, nextlearningsolutions.com. So I'll have those in the show notes for anyone that wants to connect with Chad, which you definitely should do. And then, of course, make sure that you pick up his book. Let's put the C in PLC. 
and make sure you're checking out all the things that he's doing with the Ed Leaders Network and Solution Tree. Chad, it's been an honor to speak with you. I, I'm telling you right now, my notepad is on fire because I was taking so many notes <laughs> as you were speaking, but uh, I know my listeners are doing the same. Thank you again for just sharing so much wisdom. My pleasure. Thank you so very much. Appreciate it. As we end today's podcast, I wanted to give a huge shout out to those who have taken the time to provide a review on Apple, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. It truly means the world to me that you take the 30 to 90 seconds to share how the podcast has positively impacted you or why other educators should check out the show. I really appreciate the reviews and to show some love to those listeners that have taken the extra time. I'm going to give a shout out this week by having one of my kids read the review. This week's five-star review comes from Handle Always Learning, Always Evolving, and my oldest daughter is going to share their review. This is an exceptional podcast, highly engaging with relevant content, great guests, and as a host, Joshua asks the right questions and gives guests the space to share their thinking. Well done. Thank you so much for this wonderful feedback. For any other listeners out there, if you leave us a review, you may get a shout out on the next Aspire episode.